Welcome to Manna for Breakfast, the daily Bible reading devotional which chronologically takes you through the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation in one year. Grab a cup of coffee and your Bible and join us as we journey together through God's Word. Good morning and welcome. We are moving on in the Word. Today we are going to be in 1 Kings 8 and 9 and be over in Acts chapter 8. So I invite you guys to find your Bibles and to, as always, use your Bibles, follow along, read with them, and underline things, mark things, make little notations. It helps because for anything other than for us to try and remember and gain understanding and apply it and get wisdom. So uh, it's your sword, you know, use it. So we're in 1 Kings chapter 8 now. This is the ark being brought into the temple now that it is completed. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes and the leaders of the father's household of the sons of Israel to King Solomon in Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the city of David, which is Zion. All the men of Israel assembled themselves to King Solomon at the feast in the month of Ethanim, which is the seventh month. Then all the elders of Israel came, and the priests took up the ark. They brought up the ark of the Lord and the tent of meeting, and all the holy utensils which were in the tent, and the priests and the Levites brought them up. And King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who were assembled to him with him before the ark sacrificing so many sheep and oxen they could not be counted or numbered. Then the priests brought the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place into the inner sanctuary of the house to the most holy place under the wings of the cherubim. The cherubim spread their wings over the place of the ark and the cherubim made a covering over the ark and its poles from above. But the poles were so long that the ends of the poles could be seen from the holy place from the inner sanctuary, but they could not be seen outside. They are there to this day. There was nothing in the ark except the two tablets of stone which Moses put there at Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant with the sons of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. It happened that when the priests came from the holy place, the cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister before because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Verse 12, And Solomon said, The Lord has said that he would dwell in the thick cloud. I have surely built you a lofty house, a place for your dwelling forever. Then the king faced about and blessed the assembly of Israel while all the assembly of Israel was standing. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who speaks with his mouth to my father David and has fulfilled it with his hand, saying, Since the day that I brought my people Israel from Egypt, I did not choose a city out of all the tribes of Israel in which to build a house, that my name might be there. But I chose David to be over my people Israel. Now, it was in the heart of my father David to build a house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, because it was in your heart to build a house for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build a house, but your son will be born to you. He will build a house for my name. Now the Lord has fulfilled his word, which he spoke. I have risen in place of my father David and sit on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised and have built a house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. There I have set a place for the ark in which is the covenant of the Lord which he made with our fathers when he brought them from the land of Egypt. 
Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands towards heaven. He said, O Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing loving kindness to your servants who walk before you with all their heart, who have kept with your servant, my father David, that which you have promised him. Indeed, you have spoken with your mouth and have fulfilled it with your hand as it is this day. Now, therefore, O Lord, the God of Israel, keep with your servant David, my father, that which you have promised him, saying, You shall not lack a man to sit on the throne of Israel, if only your sons take heed to their way and walk before me as you have walked. Now, therefore, O God of Israel, let your word, I pray, be confirmed, which you have spoken to your servant, my father David. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house which I have built Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and his supplication, O Lord, my God, to listen to the cry of the prayer which your servant prays before you today, that your eyes may be opened towards this house night and day, towards the place of which you have said, My name shall be there, to listen to the prayer which your servant shall pray toward this place. Listen to the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel. When they pray towards this place, here in heaven, your dwelling place, here And forgive. If a man sins against his neighbor and is made to take an oath, and he comes and takes an oath before your altar in this place, in this house, then hear in heaven and act and judge your servants, condemning the wicked by bringing his way on his own head and justifying the righteous by forgiving him according to his righteousness. When your people Israel are defeated before an enemy because they have sinned against you, if they turn to you again and confess your name and pray and make supplication to you in this house, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back to the land which you gave to their fathers. When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you and they pray towards this place and confess your name, and turn from their sin when you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servant and of your people Israel. Indeed, teach them the good way in which they should walk, and send rain on your land which you have given to your people for an inheritance. If there is famine in the land, if there is pestilence, if there is blight or mildew, locust or grasshopper, if their enemy besieges them in the land of their cities, whatever plague, whatever sickness there is, Whatever prayer or supplication is made by any man or by all your people, Israel, each knowing the affliction of his own heart and spreading his hands towards this house, then hear in heaven your dwelling place and forgive and act and render to each according to his ways, whose heart you know, for you alone know the hearts of all the sons of men, that they may fear you all the days that they live in the land which you have given to our fathers. Also concerning the foreigner who is not of your people, Israel, When he comes from a far country for your name's sake, for they will hear of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm. When he comes and prays towards this house, hear in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name to fear you as do your people Israel, that they may know that this house which I have built is called by your name. When your people go out to battle against their enemy, by whatever way you shall send them, and they pray to the Lord towards the city which you have chosen and the house which you have built for your name, then hear in heaven their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause. 
When they sin against you, for there is no man who does not sin, and you are angry with them and deliver them to an enemy so that they take them away captive to the land of the enemy, far off or near, if they take thought in the land where they have been taken captive and repent and make supplication to you in the land of those who have taken them captive, saying, We have sinned and have committed iniquity. We have acted wickedly. If they return to you with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their enemies who have taken them captive and pray to you towards their land, which you have given to their fathers, the city which you have chosen, and the house which I have built for your name, then hear their prayer and their supplication in heaven, your dwelling place, and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you and all their transgressions which they have transgressed against you and make them objects of compassion but for those who have taken them captive, that they may have compassion on them. For they are your people and your inheritance, which you have brought forth from Egypt from the midst of the iron furnace, that your eyes may be open to the supplication of your servant and to the supplication of your people Israel to listen to them whenever they call to you. For you have separated them from all the peoples of the earth as your inheritance, as you spoke through Moses, your servant, when you brought our father forth from Egypt, O Lord God. Verse 54, when Solomon had finished praying this entire prayer and supplication to the Lord, he arose from before the altar of the Lord, from kneeling on his knees with his hands spread towards heaven. And he stood and blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice, saying, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. Not one word has failed of his good promise, which he promised through Moses his servant. May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us or forsake us, that he may incline our heart to himself, to walk in his way and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his ordinances, which he commanded our fathers. And may these words of mine, with which I have made supplication before the Lord, be near to the Lord our God day and night, that he may maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel as each day requires so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God. There is no one else. Let your heart, therefore, be wholly devoted to the Lord our God, to walk in his statutes, to keep his commandments, as at this day. Verse 62. Now the king and all Israel with him offered sacrifice before the Lord. Solomon offered for the sacrifice of peace offerings, which he offered to the Lord 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the sons of Israel dedicated the house of the Lord. On the same day, the king consecrated the middle of the court that was before the house of the Lord, because there he offered the burnt offering and the grain offering and the fat of the peace offering. For the bronze altar that was before the Lord was too small to hold the burnt offering and the grain offering and the fat and the peace offering. So Solomon observed the feast at that time and all Israel with him. A great assembly from the entrance of Hamath to the brook of Egypt before the Lord our God. For seven days and seven more days, even 14 days. And on the eighth day, sent the people away, and they blessed the king. Then they went to their tents, joyful and glad of heart, for all the goodness that the Lord had shown David, his servant, and to Israel, his people. Chapter 9. Now it came about when Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all that Solomon desired to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time as he appeared to him at Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your supplication, which you have made before me. I have consecrated this house, which you have built by putting my name there forever in my eyes, and my heart will be there perpetually. 
As for you, if you will walk before me as your father David walked in integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you, and will keep my statutes and my ordinances, then I will establish your throne of your kingdom over Israel forever, just as I promised your father David, saying, You should not lack a man on the throne of David. But if you and your sons indeed turn away from following me, and do not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land which I have given them, and the house which I have consecrated for my name I will cast out of my sight. So Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all peoples. Verse 8, And this house will become a heap of ruins. Everyone who passes by will be astonished and hiss and say, Why has the Lord done thus to this land? and to this house, and they will say, because they forsook the Lord their God, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt, and adopted other gods, and worshipped them, and served them. Therefore the Lord has brought all this calamity on them. Verse 10, it came about at the end of twenty years, in which Solomon had built the two houses, the house of the Lord, and the king's house. Hiram, king of Tyre, supplied Solomon with cedar and cypress timber and gold according to all his desire. Then King Solomon gave Hiram 20 cities in the land of Galilee. So Hiram came out from Tyre to see the cities which Solomon had given him, and they did not please him. And he said, What are these cities which you have given me, my brother? And they were called the land of Kabul to this day. And Hiram sent to the king 120 talents of gold. Now, this is the account of the forced labor which King Solomon levied to build the house of the Lord, his own house, the Milo, the wall of Jerusalem, Hazor, Megiddo, and Gezer. For Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, had gone up and captured Gezer and burned it with fire and killed the Canaanites and lived in the city and given it as a dowry to his daughter Solomon's wife. So Solomon rebuilt Gezer in the lower Beth Horon and Baalath and Tamar in the wilderness and the land of Judah and all the storage cities which Solomon had, even the cities for his chariots and the cities for his horsemen. And all that pleased Solomon to build in Jerusalem and Lebanon in all the land under his rule. As for all the people who were left of the Amorite, the Hittites, the Pizzarite, the Hivites, the Jebusites, who were not the sons of Israel, their descendants were left after them in the land, whom the sons of Israel were unable to destroy utterly. From them Solomon levied forced labor even to this day. But Solomon did not make slaves of the sons of Israel, for they were men of war, his servants, his princes, his captains, his chariot commanders, and his horsemen. They were the chief officers who were over Solomon's work. 550 who ruled over the people doing their work. As soon as Pharaoh's daughter came up from the city of David to her house, which Solomon had built for her, then he built the Milo. And three times a year, Solomon offered burnt offerings and peace offerings on the altar, which he built to the Lord, burning incense with them on the altar, which was before the Lord. So he finished the house. King Solomon also built a fleet of ships in Ezion-Geber, which is near Eloth, on the shores of the Red Sea in the land of Edom. And Hiram sent his servants with the fleet sailors who knew the sea, along with the servants of Solomon. They went to Ophir and took 420 talents of gold from there and brought it to King Solomon. So you have in the story of Solomon the incredible knowledge of God desiring to establish his presence once again on the earth. Really, since the time of the Garden of Eden, when you stop and think about it, God first established his presence in the Garden and said, I want to dwell with man forever. And this is going to be my place. Now, what's interesting, Solomon is wise enough to know. He builds this house. He goes, God, the heavens and the highest heaven cannot contain you, much less this house. So he says, when, when we pray, when we come before you, hear from heaven. You know, when people pray to this house, hear. 
from your dwelling place in heaven. He knows that God is not going to dwell there. He's too, he's God. He can't dwell in a house. But he does know that it's the communication center. It is is the place where his presence is going to be manifest in the Holy of Holies. And in a sense, in this, you know, on a new sci-fi modern age, there's a portal of communication that's open within the Holy of Holies in heaven. I mean, crossing directly over from our dimension into the dimension of heaven. And it needed to be accessed a special way by the high priest and by offering blood and by all these things so that man knew that he had to come humbly before God because of the sin in the garden. The communication was cut off. Man's communion with God had been cut off because of the sin of man. And so God no longer was able to dwell with man as he once desired and have communion with man in the garden. But now he's reestablishing this through the temple. Solomon is kind of realizing this, and he says, amazing, his prayer is phenomenal. It's spot on. Who are we to think that you would have anything to do with us and dwell on the earth? But when we do, when we come before you here, judge. Solomon knows that as king of Israel, he's not the king. Yahweh's the king. He's a minister. He, he is his captain. And then he's asking his king to be a just king and to hear the prayers of his people. He says, when we come before you, Lord, we bring our petitions before you, you are holy. Hear and then act wisely, act accordingly, act justly. And then as a wise king also, and this is probably prophecy, it could have been the Holy Spirit prompting him to say this, when we sin, when we are taken off into foreign lands because of our sin, and we look back to the temple and we pray, hear our prayers. When we earnestly come back to you, when we repent, hear our prayers, and then pour out your compassion on us. Never assuming for a moment that if they are taken away in captivity, it's God's fault. He knew God was holy. He knew that God would always protect them if they were faithful. So he says, if we ever mess up and we're ever taken out of this place, we know it's going to be our fault. If you And then it, when we repent, hear our prayers and forgive. So phenomenal. And so we, we see this prophetic implication there. And then God reinforces that in the next chapel. He says, hey, as long as you stay faithful, Solomon, you and your sons, this temple will always be here. And you will never leave the land and everything will be perfect. But the moment you turn to other gods, this glorious, amazing house, which my presence is here on this earth, is going to lie in a heap of ruins and everybody's going to go, what happened? What happened to this place? And you're going to be taken off into captivity. This whole land is going to be destroyed. And of course, this is, this is exactly what happens. And of course, God knew it was going to happen. But he still allows this so that we have this example that God has always wanted to dwell with men, always wanted to have communion with men. So now we look at this from the New Testament perspective. We know the temple's been destroyed. We know that when Jesus showed up, he went to the rebuilt temple that had no glory, no cloud of the presence of God in it. Remember, I talked about the cloud. I just was mentioning this in the teaching, that a cloud represents the presence of God. When we look at um, Revelation 14 that I just spoke on yesterday, that the presence of The angels sitting on a cloud is really representing that they're in the presence of God. They're in it, and God's presence always was around a cloud descending or something um, upon the the whatever the temple or the mountain or whatever it was. So Jesus shows up. There is no presence in the holy of holies at that time. It left in Ezekiel's time. 
But when Jesus shows up, the presence of God is back in the temple, but it's walking on legs, no longer bound to just be dwelling in the Holy of Holies, waiting for the high priest to come in. Now Jesus is coming out of the Holy of Holies. When he came out of the temple, even as a child probably, but I'm thinking much later when he's, when he's ministering, when he comes out of there, what we have is a brand new representation of God's dwelling on the earth. No longer a permanent structure, but now mobile. And Jesus says, as long as I'm with you, you're, 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 if you see me, you see God. And they would, so they could pray and they could know they were in the presence of God. Now when he dies and he, he resurrects and then he goes up into heaven, the whole point of all that was like, now that I'm not here physically, now I have the ability to be in everyone's heart at the same time. He, as the new representation of the Holy of Holies, of that which we pray to, that which we bring our supplication to, now says, I'm going to establish the Holy of Holies in each individual heart that believes in me. And that becomes the church. The church then becomes the collective of all those people who believe in him. And now when people want to pray and come in and have an issue and want to ask for God's justice and his forgiveness, they come into the church. So the church is temple, but it's not the building, it's the people. This is what's so amazing is we see the connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament. We have an amazing, phenomenal blessing and privilege and responsibility as being part of the body of Christ. So that's, that's that with the temple. Now, moving on to the book of Acts. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds, with one accord, were giving attention to what was said by Philip, and they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them, shouting with a loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in the city. Now there was a man named Simon, who formerly was practicing magic in the city, and astonishing people in Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And they all, from smallest to greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, This man is what is called the great power of God. And they were giving him attention, because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic acts. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. And as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. And when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, came down and prayed for them they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to them, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion 
in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray the Lord that, if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. But Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me yourselves, so that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Verse 26. So when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem. Powerful. What we see here at the very beginning of the church, you always saw Ananias and Sapphira lying to the Holy Spirit. In the very beginning, they were trying to look spiritual and get people to acknowledge their great sacrifice. They weren't being honest. They're putting on a front. They weren't being honest before people or honest before the Lord, and God took their life. So at the very beginning, we see that the enemy is working through pride, deception. Then Saul comes along, and the enemy says, well, I mean, God dealt with them, and boom, down they go. And the enemy kind of goes, well, that didn't work. I'll try outward persecution. So puts it in the heart of Saul, religious persecution. He is brought into a... Um, obviously a sphere where he has given power to persecute the church, which I believe was demonically inspired. And so he comes and persecutes the church. And we're going to find out that once again, God's going to go, nope, you're not going to have victory over that. You can never attack Jesus and win. You may cause a lot of damage and it may take a while, but you'll never win. This is the whole point we're seeing here. And Ananias and Fira, maybe what they were not intending to deceive. They weren't, I mean, well, I'm sorry. They weren't intending to destroy the church. The enemy was. <laughs> but they paid for it. Saul is going to pay for it in a good way. He's going to be humbled. He's going to be brought low. And he's going to, he's, and God's going to use him and save him. But again, it's an attack from the outside. With Simon, it's another attack from the inside. We're seeing these are all spiritual attacks. Simon's on the inside. He gets saved. Supposedly, he believed. We don't know if he's really baptized, but he believed. And all of a sudden, he wants attention again. Hey, everybody was looking to me to be someone special. I want that. It wasn't the pride of, I don't know, acknowledgement for our good deeds. It was acknowledgement of trying to be someone powerful, super powerful. Someone up front, this is the problem with modern-day rock star preachers that we see on TV, the ones that want that fame and that the acknowledgement that there's someone special. Man, is that a trap. Is that a huge trap? And so uh, Peter and John come along and say, what do you think you're doing? You think you can buy this? You think you, <laughs> maybe your money perish with you? Essentially, he realizes he's in trouble. He asks Peter to pray for him. What would have been Better is him to pour out his heart like David in a, in a prayer of repentance, Lord, against you and you alone have I sinned. Please forgive me. So we're not really clear if Simon's really repenting here or just going, oh, yeah, I guess that wasn't right, the right way to do things. Can you pray because I really want this gift? Guess God to forgive me. I still want to be important. It's hard to say. But the obviously the, uh, the warnings for us are very, very clear. Uh, it's good to be just a simple, poor, humble student, a student of the word, I should say, servant of the word as well. Not many of us are called to be great and mighty and famous. And for most of us, that's a protection. I know it is for me. I'm sure I could not handle that kind of fame, you know, being on TV and all those uh, and all of the, the stuff that people. I know that Chuck Smith used to always, always say, and it made made my little heart happy when I'd go to these pastor's conferences. He'd always go, men. 
you know Chuck after you watch the movie you gotta get you gotta, Chuck had such an amazing voice hey look at men I want you to know I'm not worried about you little Calvary's I know you're on your knees trusting God praying every day that you might make your rent that you might be able to buy food he says the people I'm worried about you pastors I'm worried about are you big big churches because it's you are the ones that are going to fall into pride you are the ones that are going to fall into temptation more than the little ones because you, you don't no longer have to depend every single day on the Lord. And that was just so liberating for me. I was like, thank you, Lord. There's a, there's a blessing in being a little church. <laughs> there's a great blessing in that. We, do, we don't get ahead of ourselves. And, um, and so that's, that, you know, thank the Lord for that. So that all that means pray for the big churches. Man, the big churches that have big, big ministries, they need our prayers for sure. Okay, Charles Spurgeon the last word in the canticle of love is make haste my beloved and among the last words of the apocalypse we read the spirit and the bride say come to which the heavenly bridegroom answers surely i come quickly love longs for the glorious appearing of the lord and enjoys this sweet promise the coming of the lord draweth nigh this stays our minds as to the future we look out with hope through this window this sacred window of a gate lets in a floodlight upon the present and puts us into fine condition for immediate work or suffering. Are we tired? Then the nearness of our joy whispers patience. Are we growing weary because we do not see the harvest of our seed sowing? Again, this glorious truth cries to us, be patient. Do our multiplied temptations cause us in the least to waver? And the assurance that before long the Lord will be here preaches to us from the text. Establish your hearts. Be firm. Be stable. Be constant. Be steadfast. Immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Soon you will hear the silver trumpet which announces the coming of your king. Be not in the least afraid. Hold the fort, for he is coming. Yea, he may appear this very day. Thank you, Lord, for the beauty of that devotion and thank you for the encouragement as we sometimes get discouraged as we are praying for people we want to see come to the lord or we we want to pray and see our ministries grow our bible studies grow our prayer groups grow or just people's walk with the lords and our kids or grandkids see them established more in a more dynamic way in their walks god help us to be patient continue to be steadfast continue to be an example god We have this in the promise of Solomon that if we're steadfast and we do not depart from you and we do not go after the gods, anything in the world, anything of the flesh, we may maintain our faithfulness to you. We certainly know you will not depart from us, but not even your blessing will depart from us. You'll be there. And we will be an example to the world. So we pray for this, God. And we thank you for your many, many, many blessings that we have already. But we continue to pray for those that are that are weak, those that are sick, that need a lot of encouragement, those that need healing. Because how many of us know we cannot think clearly to even worship God when we're in a lot of pain, discomfort, and lack of sleep. So God, we pray you don't let the enemy gain control over our spirits by tormenting our bodies or that we ourselves will not cause a lot of overstress or a lot of tiredness by overwork that we gain understanding of the balance of our life and balance out our spiritual walk with our need for our physical daily 
uh, routine in our work, in our home, and everything we're doing. So God, give us, give us that guidance and that wisdom. Give us strength. And we just pray for healing. So many of us need healing in certain areas of our body. God, you continue to do that. Thank you for the victories we're seeing and continue to see. Special for Hank in Canada. Special blessing for him. Maria Elena, thank you for Juan Carlos in Mexico City that has seen great, great uh, success who seems to be healed right now of his cancer and many others I can think about that are now cancer-free. What a blessing. Thank you, God. We bless you for this glorious day and this whole week. We want to dedicate to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you staying faithful on the podcast even when we miss a day here and there because this crazy schedule I'm on. But uh, we'll keep it up, and you're always welcome to join us over on the live feed at CalvaryPV.com or jump on um, Facebook, Twitch, Twitter, YouTube, whatever you want to on the Manna for Breakfast. And if you get a chance to say hi and throw us a little hello, let us know on what format you're listening. Love to hear from you. So God bless you all. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.